Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. I'm Andy Davis, and in this podcast, I will interview the people working in the data center sector and tell their stories. If you are working in the DC sector or you are looking to work in the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mark Roberts of LC International. Morning, Mark. Good morning, Andy. Thanks for coming on today. I hope you're keeping well. Yep, thank you. It's a pleasure. Um, I'm quite keen to obviously learn more about your career um, and how you're using your experience in other sectors to kind of improve the construction process in data centers, which I think will be a really interesting topic to cover. But do you just want to give everyone a quick introduction of who you are and, and what you do to start with? Absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, so Mark Roberts, so I uh, head up the uh, the operations, so operations director for Lean Construction International, and we work uh, across the, uh, the built environment, um, uh, really helping teams kind of uh, collaborate, come together uh, and drive accelerated performance improvement across all of their projects. In a nutshell, that's what you do, right. <laughs> which is always makes it sound like you don't do a lot of things when I ask people to do that and you, you can put it into one sentence. Anyway, what, what I always like to do is go back to the start of your career. And I noticed that you studied mechanical engineering at college. So was engineering something you were always looking to get involved with? Yeah, well, the um, so early doors. So back in how long ago was it now? Probably about 1991. I, I kind of my my inroad into my uh, career. I uh, uh, was an apprentice as a toolmaker, toolmaker apprentice. So I was making um, big press tools um, that would bang out uh, uh, fuel tanks and uh, and lots of automotive kind of components. So. Uh, very much a craft apprenticeship, and uh, uh, which I kind of enjoyed. And I just kind of knuckled down with that. And uh, um, it, it was quite nice, almost for the first year as well, just getting paid to go to college as well. We, we, uh, and and also be what I found uh, going to college for the first year doing this craft apprenticeship is, is it, there was just a difference with, with the teachers, all of us, or, or the uh, lecturers, all of a sudden you got treated as an adult and not as a as a child at school so it was just it was really refreshing and i just kind of lapped it up and then uh, once i got actually into the factory and started making and machining all these kind of components i just kind of knuckled down and uh, it was a four year apprenticeship and uh, basically i completed the apprenticeship in 3 years just got my head down and just enjoyed enjoyed the work uh, and that uh, basically got me uh, recognized by the senior leadership team in this. It was an automotive first tier supplier. Um, as I said, w- they, they predominantly kind of made fuel tanks for mainly Toyota and Jaguar at the time. And uh, so, yeah, so on the back of me uh, um, completing my apprenticeship early, they, they offered me another position uh, and it was something I never heard of before. And it, and it was a, a Kaizen engineer. And Kaizen, in the time, it was Japanese for continuous improvement or change for the better. Uh, and uh, so I was like, well, I've just been trained now and certified as uh, as a tool maker. And what's all this Kaizen stuff? And I was a bit dubious. Well, is that the right way to go or, or not? And uh, I always remember, and it was a defining moment, really, in, in my career, that, that there was a, a, an old boy there, an old sweeper-upper, an old caretaker. His name was Patsy. And uh, he, he came up to me the once and he goes, Mark, he goes, uh, I hear you, you, you're, you're trying to make a decision. Uh, and I says, yeah, I am. He goes, well, wh- 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 why are you dwelling on it? And, uh, 
he goes, uh, let me put it to you like this. He goes, have you got a pencil? And I, and I go, yeah. And he goes, right, have you got a spanner? And I says, well, no. He goes, go and grab a spanner. So I went and grabbed a spanner. And he goes, right, hold hold one in one hand, up, one in the other. And he goes, what's the heaviest? Uh, and I said, well, obviously the spanner. He goes, right, what do you want to be carrying for the rest of your life? Uh, and, uh, and he goes, there you go, decision made. Uh, so, so it was literally that. And then anyway... So on the back of taking the position as a Kaizen engineer, I was then seconded onto a uh, Toyota supply development program for two years. Uh, and that uh, took us into all the key suppliers, strategic suppliers of Toyota. And we were deploying, there was no lean uh, phrase or, or anything at that time. It was all TPS, the Toyota production system. Um, and we were going on to, to each uh, discrete supplier De, uh, deploying a key element of the uh, or, or a key medicine rather a tool and technique um, of the Toyota production system uh, so one thing could be reducing the the changeover times on uh, uh, mold machines another solution would be setting up a flexible manpower line etc but uh, yeah the and in essence I remember going through that kind of two years of, of kind of intensive kind of improvement programs across all these suppliers and I came back and I'm like, I don't think I'm really learning anything. I, it, all this stuff seems a bit like common sense. And uh, it wasn't until um, uh, I was pulled into, uh, I was basically poached by a senior manager from the company. He went and, uh, and took a, a, a director's position at another automotive company. Uh, and uh, I, he pulled me in there to help transform all their manufacturing processes. And it wasn't until I, I, I moved into that company that I, I'd actually realized how much I'd actually learned working with the, the, the Toyota guys. The, you see all this kind of batch building and, and all these things kind of going on. Why are these, this working, these guys walking here, there and everywhere and sporadic material flow and, uh, and everything that I thought was just common, common sense. I realized it just wasn't common practice. Uh, so, so that was a big light bulb moment for me. Yeah, no, and I think um, like you're saying, the, when you go from an apprenticeship, a lot of people do say that you're, you're kind of thrown in at the deep end, which is good in a way, isn't it? And you're just, I guess you're just going with the flow, aren't you? And you're not really realising, you're, you're a bit like a sponge, you're taking everything in, but you're not really realising what you're taking in until a few years down the line when you're asked to implement something and you think, oh, I remember now, back in three or four years ago. Absolutely, yeah. The, uh, so, so that was kind of my grounding then, really, in, in the uh, the automotive uh, uh, first tier uh, sort of supply arena. Um, and then I, I kind of danced out of the automotive industry. And it was really at the time when Rover started having its its kind of problems and looking to kind of close down, close up shop. And uh, it got me thinking, well, is this automotive industry really the right place to, to, to sit out the rest of my career? And uh, I basically then took a, 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 a manufacturing engineering role in uh, a company called Hoselock. And Hoselock uh, produce all garden watering equipment, uh, hose pipes, sprinkler systems, and everything else. And, uh, and that was a, an interesting old uh, uh, environment. The uh, 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 very kind of profitable organization, but had very discreet challenges. So you can imagine the very seasonal business, as soon as the sun came out, everyone was out buying hose carts and sprinklers. Uh, and so the, the, the spikes in demand kind of shot up. And in order to, to, to kind of react and respond to these big spikes in demand, the organization had to use and rely on uh, 
uh, agency workforce. So the challenge there was to, to, to really create uh, robust uh, manufacturing processes where you could literally drop anyone onto those processes and uh, be assured that they can't uh, produce any defects, any errors, uh, and totally error-proof every, every way of working. So make it pretty much impossible to fit an O-ring incorrectly or assemble anything incorrectly or not put the, uh, the, the appropriate number of parts into a box. Um, which was really good. It was challenging, but uh, and 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 at times when you thought oh, we've nailed it, it's now impossible to do anything uh, uh, but the right way on there. We've totally error-proofed that. And uh, uh, as soon as you kind of uh, uh, did that, all of a sudden, someone new from the agency would would actually surprise you. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it was. There's, good. there's always someone that can't follow the process, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that was interesting, which has a lot of uh, um, uh, sort of crossovers to, to the work we do now in construction. Uh, in construction, one thing that was really key there, uh, we got involved really early doors with uh, new product development. Just looking at the carton sizes and, and and the box, and looking at the cube space to reduce and optimize logistics, um, but also kitting of parts and ensuring that home assembly was really easy and efficient and effective. Uh, and all those kind of principles still kind of resonate. Uh, obviously in the construction sector as well. That's yeah, it. see, that, that's why I was quite keen to talk about it, really, because I think a lot of it does resonate. And a lot of clients are now looking at other sectors for for people, for experience. So it's good to talk to someone like yourself who's kind of made that transition through automotive and into various manufacturing and other sectors and then ended up in, in data centres. So like along the way, you've obviously had quite a broad experience, but do you think each sector you've worked in has kind of added some a different level of knowledge that you can implement now? Absolutely, yeah. One thing it kind of taught me was basically moving from uh, uh, automotive straight away into garden watering kind of organization. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, a lot of the principles are relevant, but it's never a copy and paste solution. What worked in, in automotive, obviously with the seasonality that we got in garden watering, it was never a copy and paste. It wasn't, it wasn't one size fits all, but there was... That the, the actual principle still resonated, and it was the same. I, I then went on from garden water and worked in uh, Dell, uh, looking at the global uh, um, supply chains into uh, into Russia and the like. You couldn't uh, really, you couldn't really get more different, could you? Then? No, you couldn't. <laughs> garden, and, garden hoses uh, to Dell. <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, so, uh, and again, the, the other interesting thing working in Dell. Um, or what some so you take kind of little golden nuggets all the way uh, and little things that, that that you can kind of pull out and uh, think well that's really useful and it can uh, it can apply here uh, and and one of the key things in Dell I remember at the time so this was back in kind of back back in sort of 2000 and about 2011 uh, I was in Dell and uh, at the time, Michael Dell had got kind of many years before he he'd taken a decision. He's basically got there's a hundred thousand employees across the globe working in Dell, or there was at the time, and uh, they took an, an uh, initiative early doors to shut up a lot of their offices and create uh, a network of home workers uh, and the likes. And I had a global role, and uh, I was expected. And then all of a sudden, that they hit us with a travel ban. And I'm like, well, how can I kind of map supply chains into Russia and, and get everyone co collaborating and connect processes and when I can't go out and go and see, go look, see. Um, and it was like the, the feedback from uh, uh, old Uncle Mike was like, we've got the technology, use it. 
And uh, so I remember quite, quite doing, ironic. It's quite exactly. Ironic now, isn't it? So, so and now with this current climate, it's uh, all those little uh, tricks of the trade that we are kind of we, we pull out, and they uh, they really help us today when we're running remote collaborative planning workshops and mapping processes end to end, and that. And you can't be on site. It's now no longer possible to get sixty contractors in a room and collaboratively plan their works. But we exactly. the technology now has even evolved massively now so uh so yeah it's uh all that learning really does help yeah exactly and how did you sort of make the move into more of the construction side of it yeah so the uh so from there was one other step from from dell the i um i was offered a position in the uh, the nhs shared business services and i was like well i was really enjoying enjoying the work in dell uh at, at the time but then i thought Actually, the, the more I started looking at the NHS, the, 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 I mean, the, there's a higher purpose in there, uh, isn't there, really working with, within the NHS and, and improving kind of patient pathways and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, and so the work, so I headed up a business excellence team across the NHS and, and um, it was all their, their back office sort of shared services. So ensuring that the uh, invoices were getting play, paid um, uh, on time, uh, all their um, uh, recruitment and selection and procurement was all optimized so we could get the uh, the right bit at the right time in the right place uh, and then the right people in the right positions all that kind of good stuff so ha- had a lot of uh, uh, um, uh, benefits um, for, for obviously patients and, and and everything that we we know and love within the NHS so yeah so set up a business excellence team right from um, grassroots uh, in there and uh, working across 10 sites in the UK and two sites in India, um, uh, which again was really good. And uh, um, one of the key things, so I I recruited a team right um, internally uh, of people that had literally no experience of of lean or anything. That didn't matter to me. It was all about the attitude uh, and, and can people, can we recruit the best internal people that we can get that have just got a natural, nice way with people and can engage people? Um, and then we can transfer uh, and, and, and teach the tools and techniques. But the, the hard bit to teach is, is how to engage people and, and work with people. Um, so I wanted to make sure that that was the uh, uh, really the defining point for, for bringing people into the team. So we ran a number of selection days, recruited all internally, got this business excellence team in place uh, and started running kind of lean transformations with various departments. Uh, and one of the, the, the big things, the big successes, and I still hold it uh, now as, a, a, as one of the best successes in, in my career, really, was in, the, in these departments that we'd kind of worked with, um, they were achieving the one, uh, it was a cash management department, achieved a productivity improvement of 160%. Uh, and that was when we'd walked away. So on the back of the, 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 the new ways of working and habitual kind of improvement routines that we'd put in place and the morale of the team and everything else had kind of lifted that um, it was really, really nice to see. And I, I still kind of uh, uh, have links with them now and, and uh, refer people when they want to look at, well, how does lean apply to kind of a transactional kind of environment? Uh, don't listen to me. Go and spend some time with, with the folks up in Leeds and let them talk you through how they kind of work. And uh, yeah, really, re- really good to see. So on the back of all that, uh, working really well and going in the right direction, um, 
uh, it, it kind of gave me an appetite to say, all right, what, what else can, can we kind of do here? Uh, and then I started uh, um, uh, doing consulting kind of freelance in a lot of different kind of organizations, which eventually took me into the construction sector. And the past kind of four years then, bringing us right up to time, I've been work working across uh, hyperscale data centers all over Europe. And when, um, when did you first get exposure to data centers? Was it literally when you first were asked to, to work on one? No, so the, yeah, well, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty much. So about it would have been about four years ago. I was dropped into to a, a big data center um, uh, over in Amsterdam uh, to to see what we could do to to help the guys there uh, and, and help the team there. And uh, and and in the first, I always remember kind of dropping in uh, and um, speaking to the, uh, the the project director at the time and. Uh, the first thing I always look for is, is what I call the acid test. Uh, and the acid test is, is purely and simply, uh, can, where, can, where can we see? Have we got uh, total clarity? Are, are we on track, not on track? Uh, are things good or bad? That, that's number one. Uh, and then from that, what are the top three issues that are impacting our program and our project? And then the other question is, right, so on the back of those two, seeing those two, are the people then that can now see that really inspired to make improvement on the back of it. So it's really situation at a glance, expose the opportunities in that inspired improvement. And can we tick those three boxes off within sort of 30 seconds or three, three minutes of walking into a room or an area or looking at a dashboard? Um, uh, uh, and so the, the answers to those first initial questions Where's the situation at a glance? Are we on track, not on track, good or bad? What are the top three issues and what are we doing about them? It was like, well, no, I can't answer those kind of straight away. Uh, um, it, go and ask, search and search. And in some cases, it can take not 30 seconds, but three days to get that um, clarity uh, and answers. So, so that's the starting point to, to say, well, what can we do at a program level initially to answer those three questions within 30 seconds. And if you're looking at a visual board from a distance of three meters uh, and then get that transparency from not just a program level, but then also driving onto a daily activity briefing as well. It's the same questions all the way through. So ultimately trying to take the, the appropriate, the right action, right level, right time is the thinking. So yeah, that's really the starting point. It always comes with those three questions. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, what are the main issues and challenges that a client is facing so when you walk into that hyperscale project what is it normally that the client will say to you this is what we can improve or this is the problem right so early doors it, it, it's it's normally we get dropped in on a program where that's all that that's kind of already starting to to kind of overrun and uh, and and go a bit peaked on and uh, so uh, and, and typically what what we see is that the guys are working to a program, uh, and these programs normally, in my mind, uh, are one or two things. They're either wrong or lucky. Um, so, so, so we get catch that almost that contract program and say, right. So, so what can we do now to to really catch that? Get the guys that are actually engaged in doing the job and building this puppy, uh, bring them together, and let's map the the real art of the possible with our current ways of, of thinking, uh, and, and try and best as possible de-risk that but based on what we know tease out all those opportunities for for enhanced kind of synchronized uh working 
parallel working and, and what we can do to ideally kind of pull those uh, dates uh, to the left, but in the right way. Um, yeah, the uh, and, and in essence, just getting the guys there, it, it comes back to, to the power of teams, doesn't it? And uh, uh, and 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 helping them see that look, guys, no problem is a problem. We're going to get some punches coming our way, but the the ability to kind of see those punches before they land and be able to duck out the way it is kind of key. Uh, and that's what we need to kind of really invigorate uh, and help people feel confidence. And and the great thing about working with the team on the first data center, all the uh, uh, the subcontractors that there was a natural. Um, they, they just had a natural culture of collaboration, which was quite refreshing. So, so putting in some of these systems and getting them doing kind of 12-week look-aheads and really fleshing out all the potential concerns and issues and collectively coming together to, to, to catch those and resolve those uh, was actually easy because the it's almost the, the, the dynamic was there uh, and they were very supportive of, of each other. Um, they just needed some help with, with, with some systems and guidance and, and, and improved ways of working without being a job's worth for them and a burden. Yeah, I was going to touch on I was going to touch on collaboration as well because I I personally see that it's much more frequent now that there is a more unified approach to building these facilities. Is that do you think it's changed? Obviously, four years ago when you dropped into your first project to today, do you, are you seeing more collaboration from the whole? Sort of Def- definitely yeah but also with that so that there is some we do get dropped on on some projects where they say oh we're doing all this stuff we're doing collaborative planning we're, we're, we're doing kind of, we're driving daily activity briefs and uh, but yeah the, there's doing it and and then is it really adding value when you're actually doing it and so so there's one thing about putting in the, the systems or using post-it notes or even some of the digital solutions that are really effective now. But uh, unless you're having the right performance dialogue uh, uh, and uh, asking the right questions when you're putting up that activity uh, uh, and and really challenging, uh, in essence, everything that we do, but in a positive light, um, uh, and does that really need to take three days? What it takes so that's a three-day task and why isn't it a one-day task? And it's not about getting people to work uh, faster, but but what's causing what what is the the constraint that's that 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 means that that's a three day activity, uh, and and bringing all that to the surface and seeing well is there opportunity there to uh, if we looked at it slightly different to turn that into a one day activity it's that it's that kind of thing and 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 challenging in that way, um, and being supportive as we do it uh, and uh, similarly when something's over looking to overrun. It's right. Like, okay, so what else can we kind of do that differently? What 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 other support do you actually need? The other thing that's that we see time and time again, and it sounds kind of cliche, and it's an old uh, uh, um, analogy, but it's still really relevant. Uh, and it, it is the it comes back to the old Formula One pit stop. So all these trades, almost handing the batons over, and when they want to uh, get into that area on that date and do that piece of work, is everything ready? Uh, for them to actually uh, do the work. Um, I think in the past, um, some of these guys have been measured kind of ridiculously, almost old school time emotion and how long it takes them to put up a bit of steel uh, and everything else. And and that's not the problem. The problem is what's stopping them putting up the bits of steel. Uh, And and that's what we kind of uh, look to tease out and expose and make sure that, right, if you're in... Uh, uh, due to go into that area nine o'clock tomorrow 
can you actually start working with your tools in your hands at nine o'clock tomorrow? Have you got your, your RAMs in place? Is, have you got your, your, your logistics plan ready? Have you got all the resources? Are they kind of skilled? Do they know what they're actually doing and what's expected? All that kind of good stuff. And it's all that, those things that kind of trip us up. Yeah. And do you think now that there's more of an emphasis on speed, cost, everything that comes with the, the massive demand that the industry is seeing at the moment, there's an even more of greater importance to work to a lean methodology or to with people like yourself to ensure that they don't have those hurdles along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. And definitely there's a growing appetite and a growing understanding and appreciation that actually, yeah, we need to lever some of these uh, uh, methodologies and ways of working to actually really make a difference. And, and certainly with the growth uh, 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 of these data centers going up um, everywhere all over the world, I mean, it's just massive, isn't it, at the minute? The, so we've got to get, in order to, to, to realize uh, um, what ultimately the, the clients want and the growth that's needed with these data centers going up everywhere, we've, we've got to change the way that we do fundamentally and really challenge everything. And, and I think, and this comes back to, so early doors when we were getting dropped into these data uh, data centers, it was like, what can we do to help us get back on track and drive? Yeah, safe? it's more of like a troubleshooting role. I was going to say yeah. that. Are you finding now that you're, you're getting involved at the early stages early as, opposed, yeah. as opposed to saying, we need your help. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So rather than getting dropped in late uh, and help drive certainty, we're, we're getting dropped in a lot earlier to help fundamentally drive set change improvement uh, and, uh, and and betterment. The uh, and so much so working in one in in, in Dublin, the uh, uh, rather than going. So we used to do these kind of uh, initially on, on on the one big data center over there. We did a big kind of collaborative phase kind of pool planning session with the guys, and I remember the guys kind of celebrating that we'd kind of taken sixteen weeks out of the pro uh, program at the time. I'm like, whoa. We can't celebrate yet uh, because we haven't delivered it. In theory, we reckon we can take six, six, 16 weeks, but we need to kind of catch that now uh, and drive that uh, going forward. Now, in fairness to them, I think they achieved 14 weeks, um, but which was still really, really good. But uh, so on the so that was almost the uh, on on the first data halls that I was involved and engaged with the guys there. On the second ones uh, uh, that came through, rather than kind of teasing that out. Uh, and then seeing what we need to where, where the improvements opportunities lie on the back of it to enable that uh, 14 or 16 week kind of reduction, we, we took a different tact and we said, right, fundamentally going up, challenging the builder uh, and everything that we do, challenging the almost the, this stick building kind of uh, look and feel. What what what's the business case for for to, uh, for continually stick building what we do? Uh, and is there more opportunities for for more modular ways of working and looking at real kind of on-site, near-site kind of flow lines uh, and uh, prefabricated kind of solutions? So we uh, dissected the uh, the beast up and teased out every opportunity, um, looking at the building as a whole for for modularization. Um, and in that thinking, when you look at the, because sometimes. And this is another key point, really. Sometimes when we're looking at these major projects, we, we can be trapped in a in almost in a package silo, uh, and and try and see what's best fit uh, and, and right for that package, and not necessarily right for the overall. And sometimes on our decision making, 
we can almost make the decision actually, well, if we did unitize cladding, for example, on that envelope, it's not going to be cost effective by the time we've got a, a, a facility to kind of uh, assemble that uh, and near site or whatever. So, so rather than look at it package by package, if we look at it as, as a whole with this kind of modular kind of thinking, we can also look at the opportunities of maybe mixed model production lines. So we can have one facility and at a stage of the build, we can be flowing unitized cladding down that line with, uh, with the, uh, the, 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 the cladding contractors in. And as the build progresses, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the contractors can change in there and all of a sudden we're, we're, we're flowing um, uh, fit out modules down there. But the, the cost of the facility then is kind of shared and all of a sudden a lot of the uh, modular solutions become cost viable uh, as well so it's that kind of thinking it's really going really is pushing the uh, construction in again sounds cliche but into production yeah it's like pushing the boundaries isn't it you know how far can we take this to improve whatever it is you're trying to improve for that specific element whether it's the cost the time frame it's it's what can we do what technology can we use what processes can we change to improve this for the for the client yeah Absolutely. And I, I remember showing the guys there, there's a, there's a cracking video on YouTube and it's, uh, it's I love a, a video. Actually, so <laughs> it's, I'll share, I'll share this one, everyone, if I can find it, but yeah, I'll have to send the link, but basically it, it's a high rise resi, uh, building going up in China. Uh, and, uh, they, uh, it's 30 stories in 15 days. I think if you just YouTube that 30 stories in 15 days, I think that's part of the title. Um, and you see how these Chinese guys are, 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 um, are kitting parts and, and, and setting up these kind of skids with all the components all there, all in one lift, all, or each floor already pre-tiled in the factory. And it's just amazing when you see it all kind of come together um, and the synchronization and how it's all kind of orchestrated. Uh, and again, that 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 was uh, something that was key and pivotal to, to to get the guys on the data centers thinking and, and, and almost challenge. And I know it's not a, a McDonald's restaurant, but it's like, why can't it be? Yeah. Yeah. What's stopping us putting these things up in like two months? Yeah. And I know that some of the bigger cloud providers and, and I'm sure you're obviously aware yourself are looking at that. They are investing into that modular side of it. What can we build? in a factory, wherever it is in the world, and ship that to wherever it's needed. And it's definitely going in that direction. Absolutely, yeah. And it, it has to really to, to, to hit the demand uh, that we need because the, the, the capacity in the supply chain just isn't there, is there? To, no, to and also, also the labour, which I think is you know easy to forget. The, la the labour for these projects is, is massive. And because of the location and the geography of some of the projects, it's very hard to actually resource them locally it's nearly impossible if you're in north sweden or i don't know finland or there's higher there's high employment already and there's a low skill workforce so you can't find the people so if you can utilize the workforce in virginia us for example what surely that makes more sense for everybody yeah and and uh, and de and in essence these skill some of the activities but in the right way not that it's kind of degrading uh, but still give a nice um, uh, work life uh, to people and flexibility. But yeah, the uh, and enable a culture of kind of high performing teams doing so really. The, um, yeah, so, so some great challenges, but as well as looking at almost how we kind of build the methodology, 
it's it's also bringing the how we actually kind of plan the job or execute it and get people kind of surfacing the potential because there's always issues that um no matter how good we are uh, and uh, so it's having the, the the systems in place and and aligning the behaviors really of the uh, the collective team so that it is it is one team um uh, which is always the hard bit um yeah. but uh, really the most important bit and when's the best time for you to get involved then in a the project? So if a client's building a data center, let's say the, the end client's a massive cloud provider, when would you normally or ideally want to be involved? Would it be once they've decided to build it or are you talking to them, you know, before they've even started to plan these projects? Yeah, so we, so we always say the earlier the better. So uh, absolutely. the, the uh, But uh, certainly... Um, ideally, it's kind of in the in the precon uh, stages. PCSA, um, uh, we're working with one client now, just looking at their their whole PCSA uh, process as well in in itself to see right how can we use some of the the principles and ways of working that we actually do uh, 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 and and deploy um, in the actual construction processes into PCSA, get the PCSA process flowing seamlessly. Uh, and uh, with, with zero defects on time. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> and what, what what do you think that the data center industry can learn from other sectors as well? Because I'm you know, really keen to touch on that. You've obviously got that experience, but I know a lot of clients are now talking to me and saying, oh, we need somebody for this particular role, and they're not in the industry. So what can we learn as a sector from industries like manufacturing and automotive and IT, et cetera? Yeah, so 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 we learn from all industries. So if you take, if I just answer the question, almost going back to, to automotive. So automotive, one of the key things that that they learn early doors, and and one thing, one one of the principles that uh, Toyota kind of pinched was that the kind of just in time uh, uh, um, thinking and principle, uh, and, and the kind of pull systems, and the, they call them kind of Kanban. So so pulling the uh, the the right materials at the right time and not carrying loads of stock and inventory, which causes loads of waste and everything in itself. Uh, and uh, they stole that idea from supermarkets um, and, uh, and made it work for them. And, and it was really powerful. So, uh, and if you think of where construction is kind of going, and, and I, I said, it sounds kind of cliche, but it is turning, it is a, it, it is a factory. Um, yeah. It's just a static factory kind of going up, but, a lot of the processes now that, that kind of feed it, we need to turn them into kind of flow lines. So so really looking into kind of manufacturing uh, and look at the, the, the process industry as well um, it, it is really beneficial. The uh, the other thing that I'd say, so, so I think we, we touched on lean kind of slightly, but fundamentally, rather than focusing on the tools, just focus, I always say, just focus on the principles uh, uh, and uh, so if you take the, the, the kind of lean principles, there's finally li, li, five lean principles. But ultimately, what we're trying to do with lean is is deliver what our customer values with the minimum amount of effort and frustration. Um, so when you explain it like that, it's, it's almost a no brainer. Why wouldn't you do this stuff? Uh, we want to deliver exactly what our customer values uh, with and make it easy for ourselves. Yeah. And make it flow. Yeah. When they need it. Right. First time. Happy days. Uh, and have uh, be able to sleep at night and not get stressed out, and that's exactly what we want. Uh, it, it's it's a very different environment when you're in a team, and this is another key point. The, when you're in a team that's kind of 
behind the line and, and you're getting all this pressure and, uh, and, and, and getting battered potentially by the client. Each meeting you go to, you like, you get a beating uh, and uh, stuff. It's a very different environment there. And then you get some smart aleck kind of consultant coming in with these ideas. Well, what we need to do is change the complete ways of working. People are already kind of bogged down. They haven't got time to take things out. And it's it's a it's a real difficult environment. And I feel for the guys that are in that place. Um, so again, coming back, the earlier we can set up some of these ways of working, the better for them. And it's just once you're in that high performing team and you're on track, you're hitting the deadlines and you celebrate, you've got time to celebrate some of the successes, give each other a pat on the back. You're getting good news from the client. Uh, it's just a much very different environment for the guys. And the other thing, working across some of the, the big programs, data center programs, when there's multiple jobs going on around Europe and, and across the US, sometimes um, the, uh, the client's get in a trap of almost comparing and contrasting across the projects. Uh, and, all, and, and if there's a failing project, almost put all the focus and all, and all the weight, almost yeah, uh, uh, kicking those guys rather than saying, well, actually, who are the guys at the, the top of the league table? Uh, and what they've probably got all the answers. So why don't we just put all the focus on those guys who actually it's a better environment anyway because there's less pressure on them because they're on it. Um, and why can't they? We bottle the goodness there and and, and spread it to the other boys that need help. Um, so again, it's a, a bit of a shift there. A lot of the times the answers are there. But yeah, I think that's I think that's really good advice as well. It's easy to look for the negatives, isn't it? But if you look for the positives, work out why they're a positive, and then replicate that you eliminate the negatives. Absolutely. So they are not, I learned that lesson hard uh, a long time ago. I used to be a, a, a senior manager on a steel plant and we had five shifts. Uh, and uh, the, uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the poor performing shifts were always given a kick in, in, in the past. And I said, well, let's understand what the good guys are doing or seem uh, to be doing and, uh, and see what we can do to, to knowledge share as opposed to just give the, the guys at the bottom of the league table a hard time. That's not going to improve anything. No, and it really does, does it, Eva? It's, you know, just creates more negativity. Absolutely. And before we finish up, I'm quite keen to get your kind of top tips. So if you were walking into a client today or a contractor or an end client and you were saying, these are my three top tips to improve your, you know, productivity, what, what would they be? Well, first off, it's got to be that acid test. Yeah, can you see the? Uh, yeah, is it absolutely transparent where that program is in reality? Is it on track, not on track, and are things kind of good and bad? Yeah, uh, are people really able to articulate that? Because there's always problems. No problem is a problem. So, so what are the top three issues? And that's important because sometimes, more often than not, there's a raft of issues. But how are they prioritizing those? You can't fix everything. So, what are the top three? And then looking at the, the mitigation against those issues or the corrective action, is it like a sticking plaster uh, or is it really like a 100-year fix type solution? Uh, is that issue going to bite you in the head again? So RFIs are a classic as well that, that cause delays. Uh, and people kind of almost put in a containment. They'll resolve that immediate RFI, but actually won't look and say, as an example, well, we're getting lots of... Uh, dimensional kind of uh, gaps or, or issues, right? What's, what can we do to stop us getting any dimensional defects in our designs going forward? Uh, and it's that kind of thinking. Um, so, so, so there's that piece, but the, I guess the, 
the killer bit really is basically just to have no limitation as your limitation, um, which is an old quote from Bruce Lee. Uh, uh, <laughs> good, old, yeah. good old Bruce Lee. <laughs> oh, yeah, no limitation as your limitation. Yeah, no way as way. Yeah, and always seek. And when you have no way as way, you're continually bringing in other potential ways of working and challenging, well, why can't we do that as opposed to, uh, um, uh, yeah, or, or, or looking at how how we can do that as opposed to challenging why we can't it we can't yeah and i think it and it's obviously really important to you know work with people like yourself as well and not you know like people that do understand that whole element of it because it's quite easy i'm sure for a client or a contractor or whoever it may be to just not really focus on that because it's not their focus well yeah and just on that point and we see it time and time again but it's very different. Sometimes these guys, are they're, they're obviously everyone's time pressured. And you, when you're working in the process, uh, yeah. you, you struggle to actually see some of these opportunities that are in front of you. And it's not until we, we help pull the guys out and we work collectively on the process that we actually start seeing these opportunities. Uh, because you can, yeah, you can just be in that little silo or in that little package of works and, and, and you don't see that bigger picture or even see the impact that you have further kind of downstream and stuff. And and, and just on, on that point, there, there was a bit of research done um, uh, recently, just looking at just taking safety as an example. And uh, uh, the majority, and I forget the percentages now, but the, uh, the majority of um, uh, safety incidents and accidents were caused by rework, people going in doing rework and uh, uh, yeah, in, in an unsafe way. Um, Pre- pressured environment as well isn't it you know you've got to get this done in a really quick time frame now because we're we're late already yeah and also yeah. sustainability i guess you must have a what you do can have an impact on sustainability which is so important now but if better processes are going to create a more sustainable environment because there is less of that there's less rework there's less errors which is only going to help that issue as well Absolutely. And so this is obviously sustainability in that sense and also sustainability in the practices that we deploy. Um, uh, the a key success for us is, is everything that we deploy. First off, it's got to deliver impact, uh, but it's also got to be uh, uh, engaging for the guys and intuitive so that when we walk away, it still uh, transcends and, and, and becomes the default way of working. Uh, yeah, we don't want people to kind of rely on us forever and a day. We don't want them to rely on superheroes dropping in and saving the day. We want a culture of everyday heroes. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. I think that's given a really good insight into an area of the project that I don't think a lot of people understand for the exact reason that you've just said that it's not their problem at that precise time and they are kind of lost in the world of the project. So it's good to hear from someone like yourself who that is your role and you can really see it from it with an outside view. Before we close up, there's one question that I ask everybody on my podcast. If you could give one piece of advice to anyone looking to work in the data center industry, what would it be? Basically to, to challenge everything. And then I'm, I'm looking, uh, again, looking at my, uh, my sort of role model here, old Bruce Lee, and I've got a picture on the wall here and there's another quote from him. And, and he says, uh, knowing is not enough, we must apply. And willing is not enough, we must do. So, uh, yeah. There you go. Got uh, advice from Bruce Lee this week. <laughs> All right. There you go. <laughs> but I do agree with that, though. Like, obviously, you know, obviously he's, you know, he knows what he's talking about. But, but equally, one of the, the main bits of advice I get on this is to just do it. 
yeah. know, if you want to do it, just do it. What are you waiting for? And that, I think that's a really important tip because too many people do think about things without actually actioning them. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it, but also there's a caveat there. So yeah, just do it, but but just do the right thing at the right time. <laughs> Definitely, we all need that advice from time to time. Now, I've really enjoyed that conversation. Um, I'm sure you're happy for people to reach out to you directly if they if they've got any questions or would you know be interested in sort of some of your advice. Absolutely, happy to help. Yeah, I'll share your, uh, your LinkedIn when I when I share this podcast. Um, and obviously, if anyone's got any questions on methodology or processes, then you know feel free to reach out to Mark directly. Thanks for your time today, Mark. Enjoyed that conversation. And hopefully, we'll catch up again soon. Lovely. Thanks a lot, Andy. All the best.